Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. What is going on, Belly Up Sports fam? It is Shaka Cummings. It is Parker Ainsworth. Friends, welcome to FN Sports, the podcast with two teachers, great sports, biggest issues. Parker, how is life treating you? In the time of quarantine, uh, you know it's getting to that stir crazy moment. I think Shaka, <laughs> uh, you know everyone's stuck <laughs> inside and not doing a whole lot besides watching people sit inside and draft NFL players. <laughs> what, what about yourself? <laughs> uh, quick question: I'm doing well, but uh, the home haircut—are we past that phase, or did you go I through with it? I have not cut my hair yet. It is very long and particularly curly around my ears, but I have not gotten to a. <laughs> point where i have to cut my hair um we're getting there i also haven't really trimmed my beard or anything though so you know it's it's all just growing right now okay like you're going full on bigfoot no worries um, <laughs> <laughs> no, i'm doing well life's good this weekend was awesome because we had like a real huge sports event with the nfl draft and so it was great to lose yourself in the nfl draft we'll obviously talk about that quite a bit during this podcast that being said parker let's do our gold stars and detentions Talk to me. What do you got for this week? I got a couple brief gold stars all surrounding the NFL draft. My first goes to Cliff Kingsbury's home decorator, who is also <laughs> very clearly Sean McVay's home decorator. Um, they really, really made those two guys, I mean, they are very cool people, obviously, but made them look like very, very cool the classic young guy, modern house, bachelor pad lifestyle, beautiful backdrop. I mean, like, yo, you weekend. can't get that house in Lubbock. That's why he had to leave Texas. <laughs> that is, that's why he had to leave right there. I got a gold star for at Zoe Jerky twenty two. I believe I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that correct. As well as uh, at Ben underscore VB. So um, there's a school out in Great Bend, Kansas, Great Bend High School. They have a volleyball team. They're the Great Bend Panthers. And I saw this video on Twitter that was awesome. It was this girl who had invented this rigging to attach to a basketball rim so she could practice her outside hitting for volleyball. And so her volleyball team tweeted this out. And I saw that. And I'm like, that's crazy. And, I'm, you know, we're teachers. So, obviously, we love it when young people are inventive and doing some cool things. So, Gold Star to uh, Zoe for getting in her work, for being inventive and creating this thing that she definitely needs the patent 
because you can put that on any <laughs> basketball rim and any volleyball player could use it. But I just love the uh, ingenuity to make sure she could get her work in. My next gold star is going to a couple of inanimate objects. Um, I thought Pete <laughs> Pete Carroll had a very like adorable setup on his clear. Well, it was clearly his dining room table. Like you kind of see the kitchen out of the back corner. It was clearly a very nice table that he doesn't normally sit at very often with like his pristine backdrop behind him. And then conversely, also Bill Belichick's empty table because he <laughs> would step away from the table that the camera was at whenever he was supposed to be making a pick because he did not want to be on camera <laughs> during the pick. So in a classic Bill Belichick move, he was even being secretive in his own home when he was making his picks. I actually wrote an article for Belly Up Sports about Nike Belichick, who's the dog that got caught on camera like when that first pick was made in the second round. It is hilarious. I recommend, highly recommended reading, friends. Um, <laughs> my next gold star goes to uh, Adrian Wojnarowski because he dropped a Woj bomb about practice facilities in the NBA opening up on May 1st. Now, these are practice facilities that are in states where restrictions are beginning to be lifted. And so as a part of the lifting of these restrictions, gymnasiums will be allowed to be open, therefore... NBA practice facilities can be open. And so it's just a ray of hope for us NBA fans that maybe the league is going to come back this year in some form or fashion and try to complete the season. Uh, I felt like a couple of weeks ago that there was a lot of talk about just cancellation. The season won't get finished. And so uh, any ray of hope that we can have as basketball fans is pretty cool. So thank you, uh, Woj, for the Woj bomb. To be fair, after seeing Trey Young's house basket set up, you know, during the whole horse challenge, he kind of needs to be able to go to the gym, I think. So hopefully that Georgia and Atlanta, it's all opened up for him. <laughs> you know, um, the difference between his uh, setup and Mike Conley, like you could tell one of those guys was definitely the highest paid player in the league at one point, And one of them was still on their rookie <laughs> deal. You could definitely tell. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, my first detention uh, goes to Trey Wingo. On a couple of accounts. Um, <laughs> Trey Wingo obviously was the ESPN host of the NFL Draft over the weekend and was on TV a lot. Uh, this is typically a big done-up celebration with lots of fancy this. And they were going to be at, you know, the was it the Bellagio or Caesar? They're going to put they're the... They're going to be the, in the, Vegas, yeah, on the street. Yeah, and they're going to put the draft picks on a boat to go across the water uh, of this, you know, big fountain to meet Goodell or whatever. And... And so he decided to wear the world's ugliest suit on camera the opening night of the NFL draft. Uh, it was just too many stripes. Too many stripes, Trey. Just too many stripes. And then as if that weren't bad enough, we've all known who the number one pick is going to be for a long time. Joe Burrow played at LSU, which, you know, their mascot is the Tigers. He is getting drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals, like the Bengal Tiger. And... Trey Wingo called him the Lion King on air. <laughs> we have this, you know, whatever you think about it, Netflix documentary that went viral to start quarantine that, well, it feels like years ago, was just about three weeks ago, called the Tiger King. <laughs> like, you, that's a major swing and a miss there. Come on, Trey. That's a, that's a detention. We got to work on our jokes there. My detention this week, and I only have one, is it goes to ESPN for this tenor that they had during their draft coverage of either trying to make every person who's getting drafted cry or trying to like tell the, the different sob stories for every prospect. I just didn't enjoy that. Like, I, don't get me wrong. There are definitive stories that I think can be told during the draft so that you get an understanding of where these players are coming from, the things that they've had to overcome. And I felt like they were doing a lot of reaching. It was like, Oh, your third cousin, twice removed, died 15 years ago. How do you dedicate your whole career to them? And it's like, what? Get the hell out of here with that. Like, don't get me wrong. If you have a story that really motivated you, if you've overcome some great obstacle, then, and you want to share that with ESPN, and you want that to be a part of your draft day, then that's fine. That may be as uncomfortable as anything. And I definitely didn't appreciate them doing the graphic for T. Higgins and putting up there about his mom's drug exactly. abuse over so that was, well over a decade. And it's like, he also was a national champion, and this is the NFL draft. How about you put that on his graphic? That The graphics person ESPN is exactly right. I mean, that's 
it wasn't just that there were there were stories of people overcoming things, and that's absolutely correct that that needs to be highlighted and look at the crazy things this young man's overcome. But you need a little clearance with the kid first, right? You need to like make sure, like, <laughs> oh, can we can we put this story about your mother out there for the entire world to see on national television? That was wild. My next attention goes to whoever decided that we were going to use fake backdrops. They didn't get the big the biggest size backdrop, and so like. From clearly when like in Tennessee or Cincinnati, when you look at the person from like a zoom from their camera on their computer, they must have just had a plain backdrop behind them. Like you'd see almost like at a press conference, the logos and sponsors all over it. Yeah. But from the ESPN camera, you saw the setup holding up the backdrop. The backdrop <laughs> was not big enough. to So you see like the setup in their living room or in their off home office or whatever of like little metal bars holding up some backdrop behind them while they're staring at their computer screen. It was super awkward looking and I'm not doing it justice in an audio medium, but it, it was super awkward looking and needed to either be nixed or enlarged or something. This is what happens when you send that stuff to people and then you tell them, Hey, just set it up yourself. Like this is this is why we have to get out of social distancing so that the pros can do their job, right? Like obviously <laughs> there were not enough professionals who were doing their job there. Um, Clearly, we're going to talk a lot about uh, NFL draft. We're actually going to do a little multiple choice segments. We'll get back into our sports SATs. We'll do a thesis statement around uh, Jerry Krause, whose name is uh, come back up with the uh, documentary The Last Dance, and then we will check attendance and get into our Twitter from the week and shout out uh, you guys who have been interacting with us. So without further ado, Mr. Ainsworth, are you ready to go, sir? Ready when you are, Shaka. Okay, Parker, we had major sports this weekend with the NFL draft. And so, of course, we want to talk about the draft and all the intricacies. We are going to go ahead and do multiple choice do our NFL draft SATs. Let's see if Parker Ainsworth can get a 1600 or if I have to set him straight. Let's start. <laughs> Let's start with the first uh, question. The team that did the best in the NFL draft was A, the Cowboys, B, the Cardinals, C, the Browns, D, the Broncos, or E, none of the above. And just so that folks know, these teams were pulled from a tweet that Parker forwarded to me from Pro Football Focus. So, Parker, if you were taking a look, uh, would you pick Cowboys, Cardinals, Browns, Broncos, or would you go off the board? Um, out of those, I think I'd end up going with Dallas. Um, obviously, C.D. Lamb falling to them is a big benefit. I think uh, Trevon Diggs is a, a big piece of what they need to replace, right, if they're looking to replace Byron Jones. Um, I, I think they address some needs there. There are two teams that aren't on that list that I actually don't have pretty good drafts, though, in Minnesota and Baltimore. Minnesota, it might just be because I'm in love with Justin Jefferson. I think he was a a very <laughs> a talented player. young man. Yeah, and I, you know, maybe that's why I also don't rate Joe Burrow as highly as others because I think he's got guys like Justin Jefferson to throw the ball to. Um, but I think that they did some good things with a lot of picks to kind of replenish some needs. Obviously, they lost Stephon Diggs, and so we're not ranking their whole offseason – um, but pulling in Justin Jefferson, um, pulling in uh, Cameron Dantzler, pull, like they had, they had some key moves in the secondary, linebackers, uh, just a lot of with a lot of picks. It's easy to have a good draft, I think. And so with so many picks and so many places to plug in, they did a lot a lot of good things. I think Baltimore also, when you look at like a team that was at the, you know at the edge of making a really big jump last season, right? They had, the, you know, obviously MVP season, Lamar Jackson, very new looking offense, even though it really pulled from very old offenses um, and really threw teams for loop. They went in and got some very key pieces, uh, linebacker, defensive tackle, J.K. Dobbins at running back, Devin Duvernay and Prochet at receivers um, that are very specific to what they're trying to do there. Like Devernay and Prochet, both are like the same type of receiver and that they're short squatty guys that kind of like warm around in the space. Um, and that's good for the RPO kind of stuff to do with Jackson. They got another running back to take some of the load off of Mark Ingram. I mean, they, they did some good work, I think, with what they're doing. Um, yeah, I think that Baltimore had the best draft. Like if you were to ask me, pick one team and you, you talked about it. I mean, I think that their third round 
was awesome. So they get uh, Matabuke, who's a defensive tackle out of A&M. They got Duvernay, who you talked about. And they got Malik Harrison. Malik Harrison, guys, was the middle linebacker for Ohio State. And basically, wherever the ball was, that's where he was, whether you ran or passed. And he had an incredible uh, senior bowl week as well. I mean, they just got a lot of good players. And then, of course, the uh, crown jewel of their draft is going to be Patrick Queen, who's another inside linebacker. Um, they just got a lot of talent. I really like Baltimore's draft. I think that they probably had the best draft. I like the Colts. Like, considering that they didn't have a first-round pick, right? And you, you would think, oh, man, if you don't have a first-round pick, can you have a good draft? The Colts got Jonathan Taylor, who, you know, 15 years ago would have been a first-round pick. So they, they got the running back out of Wisconsin. You get a first-round <laughs> talent, and you are able to get them in the second round. I feel like you did a great job there. Um, they also got Michael Pittman, the wide receiver out of USC, who uh, has great genes. His dad played in the NFL as well. And I like the pick of Jacob Eason in the fourth round because I think that he and Phillip Rivers will end up being kind of kindred spirits. Like when I watch Jacob Eason play, he has a swagger to him that kind of reminds me of Phillip Rivers. Like he's the type of dude that will talk trash to your defense, I think, which is what Phillip Rivers does. <laughs> and so for him to get a year under Phillip Rivers' tutelage, I think is good. They also got a guy out of Ball State named Danny Pinter. Nobody knows who Danny Pinter is, but – when he's starting on their offensive line uh, in the right. next couple of years, you'll be like, oh, my gosh, and they got that guy in the fifth round. And then the team right. that I also think did a really good job was the New York Giants. I root for both New York football teams, which is a whole oddity that we could talk about on another pod. But what I like about what the Giants did is they stuck to who they are. Like, maybe you don't like the Giants and the direction that the team has gone in the last couple of years. Maybe you're not a fan of the GM. But there's a plan there, and the plan is make sure that we shore up the interior, make sure we get guys that really fit the uh, profile of who I want to come in and play. And based on the success that they had in the draft last year, I mean, I like what they did. Andrew Thomas will be starting at left tackle for them. Um, they got Xavier McKinney in the second round, and every mock that I saw had McKinney going in the first round. Uh, they got uh, Darnay Holmes to play cornerback, who's another guy who's the son of a former NFL player. I just like when you're able to do that. They got a guy named Matt Pert who played at UConn, and people don't watch UConn. Let's uh, keep running through here. Let's talk about the worst draft. I have a feeling that there's going to be a lot of consensus here. The team that had the worst draft was Houston, A, Houston, B, Green Bay, C, New England, D, Washington, or E, none of the above. So I obviously was, in doing research, really wanting to make this uh, Houston and Houston did not have a very strong draft. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I could argue that part of the reason they didn't have a very strong draft because they traded away a lot of their draft capital in the last 18 months. Um, I, I just, I can't, I can't get past the Packers. I do want, I do want to talk a little bit about the Raiders. I think the Raiders had a very bad draft as well. Um, the Packers though, we're going to look back at if they pissed off Aaron Rodgers, that's a whole aspect of the draft that is worse than anyone could have imagined. <laughs> <laughs> that definitely wasn't the um, plan going in, right? Right. And so I, I, before we get to the Packers, I'm assuming that's who you're going to pick. Uh, the Raiders don't seem to understand that David Carr can't play 16 games. He can't play a whole lot of the season. And then if they were to try and get the playoffs or whatever, they're in a tough division. Like They needed to make some moves at more o-line to get car some time because he's getting broken every time he gets hit and instead they went with a receiver a corner a running back slash receiver and then a, a linebacker like they, they didn't address any of the needs i thought they would have had i kind of anticipated them being a team that might move up in the you know give up some of their later capital to get into the late first early second round and get a quarterback uh that you know one of these lesser one of these lower name guys like a jordan love who ends up at green bay um but the loser in all of this is going to be Green Bay, right? I mean, considering, like, if the if the criteria is, oh, this team did something I wasn't expecting them to do, Green Bay. <laughs> Green Bay. I mean, the Jordan Love thing, considering that you're a team that was one game away from the Super Bowl last year, and there were receivers, there were tight ends, there, were, there was help that you could have gotten for the dude who you already have in Aaron Rodgers and who, oh, by the way, if you look at their cap situation, there's no way they're releasing him next year. There's no way they're releasing him the year after that because the cap hits too high. So if you're going to yeah. basically, you basically drafted this first-round quarterback 
for three years down the road. And so my argument would be, why not draft more immediate help early in the draft? And you could always make that pick in the fourth round, right, where um, Eason was still available, where Fromm was still available, the kid out of Hawaii, Cole McDonald was available. You could have always done that. Um, so it just it felt weird to me. I will say this as well, though. New England, considering the reputation that they have, not a great draft. And I don't know who's in charge of the draft, whether it's the dog or if it's Bill Belichick, whoever. But whoever's making the pick <laughs> where you take the Division II defensive back, that I, I'm telling you that Duger would have been available later in the draft because I don't think that he was on people's radar for the second round. And then to trade up twice to get two different tight ends, I mean, I'm... I guess I give New England and, you know, taking a Division Two guy early or taking a couple of tight ends earlier or whatever, I give them benefit of the doubt because they tend to be a very smart franchise that does things correctly. And so, like, I, when I see a guy I don't know go off the board earlier than I would have anticipated to New England, I'm like, oh, he's probably an all-pro. Like, I, I, don't, I don't tend to think of, like, <laughs> what could go wrong. Over the last few years, their drafting has not been very good. And so no, you're I, right. it, I, I, um... I agree with you that they're a good franchise and I do want to give them the benefit of the doubt. But when you're drafting a record over the last couple of years, that's one of the reasons why Tom Brady isn't there because you didn't really draft to get him help. So that's, that's why I ask questions now. And I think that it's maybe fair to start asking them. Let's go to the next question here. Uh, the team that I root for had a blank draft. <laughs> a awesome B average. C, kind of sucky, or D, god-awful. So, hey, Parker, first let everyone know who you're rooting for and then talk about <laughs> how you rate the draft. Oh, so people that know me know this confusing story of NFL fandom, but I end up rooting for both teams out of Texas with probably a stronger leaning towards Dallas because I was a stubborn 12-year-old kid or whatever it was when the Houston Texans became a franchise. Like, no, I'm super loyal and this, that, and the other. The truth is, if... But Adams hadn't taken the Oilers out of Houston. I would have been an Oilers fan my whole life, I think. But he did. And so there was a period there where I was a very vacant free agent fan. And because of that, with two Texas teams now, I feel like I see a team at both ends of the spectrum. I mentioned earlier, I think Houston had one of the worst drafts. I was trying to argue that they had the worst. I guess they don't quite have the worst because you only have so many picks. And if you only have so many picks, you can't screw all of these picks up because there's just not enough of them to screw up. And then I think Dallas actually had one of the better NFL drafts. They're still going to have to figure out what they're doing with Dak between now and the next you know, year, 18 months. Uh, I don't think you can just keep franchising them year in, year out, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, <laughs> I, but Dallas, as far as filling in other gaps, as I mentioned in the first part of this multiple choice thing, really did, I think, do a really good job of filling in gaps. I, maybe I'm a homer, and maybe that's revealing into my first answer, but I really think they did a pretty good job. Um, I'm also in that confusing boat where I root for two teams, and I, the story is that my dad was an immigrant to this country back in the 60s. And when he moved to New York, he just he rooted for all the New York sports teams because that way when he went to work, he had something to have a conversation with people about. He's very extroverted in that way. So he would root for the Yankees and the Mets, and he would root for the Islanders and the Rangers. There was only the Knicks. He also rooted for the Jets and the Giants. Now, we were raised that way. I've kind of fallen off with most of it, but I still do root for both the Jets and the Giants. Um, and so I talked about the Giants and how I thought they actually had a pretty good draft because they stuck to kind of their character. The Jets, for me, if I was to answer this, I would say C kind of sucky because I feel like they, ugh, it was just uneven, right? So they take Makai Becton with their first pick. I don't like Makai Becton. I'm here in Lexington, Kentucky, and I've seen the University of Kentucky mm. abuse that dude. So um, there's like this screenshot that's going across Twitter for BBN folks. And it is Makai Becton making a mistake where he, they end up quadruple teaming our three-man front nose tackle. And then our, def our defensive end comes off the edge unabated and crushes their quarterback. Like that's – Makai Becton does some of that stuff. And a lot of his highlights are him – you know, he's 6'8", 360 pounds. A lot of his highlights are him blocking guys at the second and third level, which means he's blocking a 230-pound linebacker or a 200-pound safety, which is like, good. You should be able to block those guys. Um, <laughs> I like Denzel Mims as a wide receiver, but what I would say is that the, the Jets, if they were taking Henry Ruggs with their first-round pick and taking Josh Jones, who's a tackle out of Houston, with their second-round pick, to me, that combination is better than the one that they got, which is Mekhi Becht in the first round and Mims in the second round. And then they draft a quarterback after we 
just recently drafted Sam Darno, so I don't get that. But then they take a guy like Jabari Zuniga, who I think is going to be a solid pass rusher, SEC guy out of Florida. Um, they take uh, Ashton Davis, who's a safety, and it's like, are you guys just admitting that we're going to trade uh, Jamal Adams? Like, is that what that is now? Why are we taking this kid? He's a good player, <laughs> but we have two starting safeties that we actually have drafted. So why are we taking a third one? He's not a guy who can play nickel either. Like, he's actually a safety. Um, and then we drafted a punter. Anytime you draft a punter, I'm like, what the hell, man? You don't have to ever do that. Those guys are available. And I get that um, the kid from A&M, Braden Mann, he won the Ray Guy Award in 2018. So I'm not saying he's a bad punter. I'm just saying we don't need to draft him. Those guys are available. I, I would argue season. if you were going to say, yeah, if you were going to say you have to draft a punter, you probably got the one everyone would have drafted, though. Like, it's just it's just a position. It's not that he's not good. No, I mean, he's a good punter. Just don't draft punters. Like, that's my belief is don't draft exactly. those guys. If, if you're going to take a specialist, take a kicker. Because a kicker actually affects points. Right. Um, and don't get me wrong. I'm a football coach. I get that punters are important, but I'm not drafting one. Sorry. So, yeah, the Jets, to me, had a kind of sucky draft. Um, <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about some of the effects of the draft here. Uh, a little Cam Newton question. So we'll reference back to our podcast from a few weeks ago. After watching the NFL draft, I think Cam Newton will be, A, unsigned until after the season starts, B, picked up as a backup on a contender, C, picked up to fill in for a team that needs help, or D, something else? Like, what's going to happen with Cam Newton in your mind, Parker? Um, I'm at this point envisioning him uh, be picked up as a backup on a contender, but I would put the contingent on it that that's entirely based on what happens with COVID-19 and so on. It sounds like the assumption on Cam I'm hearing is more and more that teams want to get their doctors to him and with how limited person to person the contact is and how hard it is to get people to travel back and forth and all those kinds of things the idea of physically checking him out right not just asking a doctor but getting your doctor to you know talk to him before you make that investment i think is getting harder and harder he's going to have to though to do that take the mental step of i'm not making as much money this year as a backup or this two-year deal or whatever it is as a backup i need to just sign for whatever the dotted line says play it out, be a good teammate, come in and play well when it's my turn. There's also a part of me, like, if you were to ask me what's the second most likely scenario, like, I would almost pick other and say he would retire. Like, I almost feel like he'd just walk away for a year or maybe forever if no one decides they want to come back and get him uh, before he'd be a backup. Like, that's just a sense that I get. I don't have any, obviously, insight. I just got that feeling with him. The next question that we have the athlete who ended up in the best position for him after the draft is A, C.D. Lamb in Dallas, B, J.K. Dobbins in Baltimore, C, Justin Jefferson in Minnesota, D, Jordan Love in Green Bay, or E, someone else. What do you think, Parker? Um, so I think my heart is leaning one way and head leaning the other. I think I'm going to go with B, J.K. Dobbins. So that's interesting because um, he goes to a place where they already have a starting running back. So my thought there's a multifaceted though. So for one, running back is a grueling position, right? And so the idea that he gets to split carries in that backfield with a Mark Ingram is beneficial, right? Because he doesn't take all of the pound. Um, the other thing is, is it's a running offense. So he knows that when he's in the game, he is either getting the ball or in an option to get the ball or getting the ball out of the backfield. Like it's a valuable position in Baltimore, but it's also a position that because of the nature of how violent that position is, you can't just play every snap. And so I think that that's a good spot for him because it hopefully will elongate the career some because he doesn't have to play every snap. But when he's in the game, he's getting the rock, right? And I think that's a big thing for him. So it's just interesting. If I were going to pick someone, there's two guys that pop into my head, Andrew Thomas, because, again, I think that he just fits what the Giants want, and he's going to go plug in at left tackle. And I think that he's going to have a lot of success because he's a very good player out of Georgia. The other guy is uh, is uh, Derek Brown out of Auburn, who is going to go to Carolina. And Carolina already had a couple mm -hmm. of good defensive linemen. They drafted a few more, and it feels like they're setting up to have, you know, a very good defensive line. 
and you're not going to be able to double team everyone that they have. And so he's a guy who has an incredible amount of talent. No, I, I think that I think that what they're doing Carolina is cool. Um, it's interesting to me that neither one of us picked Jordan Love, and Green Bay 100% thinks they're doing this great thing for Jordan Love. And oh, you got to be a backup for a couple of years, learn from Aaron Rodgers, just like he learned from Favre and blah blah blah. And both of us are like, no, that sucks. This is bad. Well, I mean, <laughs> I don't think that Jordan Love is the same level of prospect as Aaron Rodgers was, and that's a part of the issue that I have. Completely. So to me, if you're gonna do that, and I've said this already, just get a guy. They totally could have got a guy in the third round and gotten a receiver to help right away. Um, their secondary isn't the best either. They could have used Xavier McKinney as much as anyone else. It just it they would have had like to a force a real force fit. They would have had to have moved up in the second round, but they could have also gotten Hurts in the second round. And Philly is talking about using him in at least the Taysom Hill type role in Philly. Um, and so I. I, I if I were picking someone off the board, obviously anyone who's listened to us the last three weeks knows I love Jalen Hurts. Um, but th- that he already has a role, and Carson Wentz has had his injury, so he could come in and fill in if Carson Wentz gets hurt. I think I think Hurts is in a great spot too. Let's go with our last uh, <laughs> our last multiple choice question, which is a hundred percent a troll based question. We are totally trolling these schools, but blank university or college <laughs> uh, has come off looking bad after the draft. And so the choices are Texas, A, Miami, B, Florida State, C, or USC, D. And this is uh, in part based on their picks in the 2020 draft and how many players were drafted. So if you're going to pick one of these schools and say, man, they really have hit hard times, who would you pick, Parker? (laughs) Well, it's interesting because these are four blue blood programs that you think of as iconic. Like it was 150th year of college football. And so they've all had their – their time at the forefront of that 150 year history, right? It's also um, however, interesting because you were born with like hook'em horns, kind of your hands were born making that shape. So the fact that they, <laughs> that they are on here. Completely, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why my parents met. So I, that's like very literally, that's I don't exist if that school doesn't exist. Um, the, <laughs> no, the interesting thing to me though is, is that, you know, I think, well, what were the numbers? It was Texas had three picks. Uh, three players drafted. Miami had four, but none of them were in the first three rounds. Um, Florida State had one, and USC had two. Whereas 15 years ago, and maybe more like 20 for Miami, those were the four teams running college football, right? You had, you know, you're going back and forth between Ricky and then Vince and then Colt at Texas with a whole slew of other, those are just being the headliners, right? And Miami's 0-1 team, was entirely drafted. Like the whole da- the whole team was drafted, right? Like, <laughs> and now now they're down to where they have single players drafted. Meanwhile, for reference, there were three players from Division One or, or from Division Two or Three drafted in the NFL draft this year. So like like I understand there's a lot more schools in D and D two and D three football, but those divisions, which you don't think of as producing NFL players, had more t- people drafted than Florida State did. Yeah, so um, the the answer is Florida State to me because of that. Like when you start, right. we actually did this before the pod. We started looking at some of the schools that had players drafted: Tennessee State, Washburn, Ball State, Miami of Ohio, Rhode Island, New Mexico State, St. John's. Not St. John's in Queens, New York, mind you, because uh, maybe you <laughs> might know that school. This is St. John's in Minnesota. Okay, so just so that everyone's clear. Uh, Dayton, who up until a few months ago, I didn't even realize had a football team. I thought that they were all basketball. Um, Southern Illinois, Lenore Rhine. It's Florida State. Like, it's Florida State. And you are on the same list as Lenore Rhine? How the mighty have fallen. Like, that is. Well, and my other thing that you're not quite mentioning, actually, when I think of the issue with Florida State right now, is that as bad as Miami's draft was, they had four. And then. The University of Florida had seven. And, like, there are other SEC schools that recruit Florida. Georgia had their own seven. And, you know, Clemson had their own seven. They'd recruit Florida fairly well. And, and But it's interesting to me that Florida State clearly is way at the bottom. Like, Texas and the Big 12 all need to do, fight harder to keep Texas kids in Texas. But Texas had three kids drafted and probably a couple more next year. And you, you could say that, like, they just need to steal kids from – the TCU or, or whatever in conference. Um, but the bigger thing for them has been like, 
Ohio State had 10 kids drafted, and how many of those kids are from Texas? Or LSU had 14 kids drafted, and how many of those kids are from Texas? Florida State's losing them to other marquee programs in state, and I'd argue that Florida kind of had a meh year and that Miami didn't have a Miami year, and they're still putting out more kids than Florida State is. I think that speaks a lot to Florida State. Okay, Parker, so our thesis statement this week involves looking back at uh, Jerry Krause, who's very much in the public consciousness after The Last Dance and that uh, the wonderful documentary that ESPN is putting out. We taped these on a Sunday, so we are looking forward to episodes three and four tonight. Our thesis statement, Jerry Krause made the worst decision in basketball history when he decided to break up the Bulls. How would you grade that thesis, Parker? Um, I'm going to give it like a C minus, but really more from a how it's written and those kind of standpoint. Um, yeah, I just I think that it needs to be more specific in a couple of spots. What would you give it, Shaka? Okay, I'm going to give it a D. And I do have issues with the way the thesis is written as well. There's some vagueness to it. We'll talk about that a little bit. But... I even think that like if you were to genuinely look at Jerry Krause's decision, it's not great, but it's not the worst. Okay, Shaka, you gave this thesis a D, uh, which is, uh, let's just say not great. Uh, it's not good. So, it's not good. <laughs> what do you, what, what made you give it a D? So Jerry Krause is top of mind now thanks to the last dance right and we're getting this inside look on some of the quite frankly the dysfunction that was <laughs> that last chicago bulls team and that last championship run and so as we get that inside look i think that it makes jerry Krause and that decision even look worse than it was because you see like scotty pippen and michael jordan just disrespecting them you see phil jackson and you're like oh my God, this guy's trying to force Phil Jackson out. You see things like the owner basically saying that, you know, he's a short, fat guy looking for attention. And so when you look at that, it's like, oh my God, Jerry Krause, this guy was the worst person ever. And it's like, let's not forget that Jerry Krause was the one who hired Phil Jackson in the first place. That he was the guy who drafted Scottie Pippen and Horace Grant and signed Dennis Rodman and Tony Kukoc. So, like, while it was not a great decision to break up that Bulls team, if you think about his reasoning, his reasoning was kind of sound, which is Jordan's the only one who's still playing at the top level. These other guys who were paying big money, they might, we might need to get these guys out of here before the bottom drops out. And if we look at a guy like Bill Belichick, who made a career of doing that, we don't call him bad, but he went on to win Super Bowls after doing it. And so Jerry Krause didn't go on to win NBA championships after doing this. He also didn't have Michael Jordan after doing this. So I think that that, that, that matters, right? Um, and so, you know, if you look at what Scottie Pippen ended up doing afterward, if you look at what Dennis Rodman ended up doing after they left Chicago, I mean, he wasn't wrong. Those guys were on the downward slope. But the other piece for me, Parker, is that, like, if you start looking at the pantheon of bad decisions in the NBA, like, I'm going to throw some of these at you, okay? Here's some decisions that were made by players that were awful. Shaq saying, you got to trade me from the Lakers when he's playing with Kobe and winning rings. That's bad. Jordan deciding to come back and play for the Wizards? That's bad. <laughs> Dwight Howard and the whole way that he handled leaving the Orlando Magic. First, he was demanding a trade, then he wasn't demanding a trade like that. That whole craziness and then him ended with the Lakers getting disrespected by Kobe? Like, that's bad, right? Here's some league moves. NBA-initiated moves. You tell me if these aren't just as bad as Jerry Krause. The league voiding the, the CP3 trade to the Lakers and then making the trade happen again so that he ends up in the Clippers. And that was a worse deal if you look at the assets that were moved. How about the league deciding that we need to go to best of seven in the first round? Like, what was wrong with best of five? When we had best of five, we actually had upsets where eight would beat one, which was kind of cool, right? Now we don't get that anymore because we got best of seven series. How about the initial marketing of the WNBA? It's only recently that they're starting to get the marketing for the WNBA right. They treated the WNBA like a stepchild for over a decade. And if we want to talk about other GMs, I'm going to throw some, some of these at you. How about the Knicks? <laughs> the Knicks? Just just the Knicks. They're, all, they're, <laughs> they're as awful as anyone. How right. about the Clippers before 
Bomber gets there. Before the CP3 trade, the Clippers were the laughingstock franchise of all time. And let me throw this one at you, Parker, because this is an underrated, like, worst GM decision ever. Jerry Krause has six rings for his bad decisions. In 1994-1995, Dominique Wilkins is traded from the Atlanta Hawks to the Los Angeles Clippers for Danny Manning. Danny Manning was 27 years old. He was demanding a trade because he wanted money. Um, and the Hawks traded their best player in their franchise's history, arguably. And he's still the franchise's leading scorer, Dominique Wilkins is. And not only did they trade him, Parker, they traded him in a season in which they were 36-16 and 16 at the time that they traded him. And they were in first place in the Eastern Conference. And this was 94-95, so this is post-Jordan. So they could maybe go for a championship. They trade Dominique to the Clippers, who are a laughingstock joke. They get Danny Manning back. So they started the season 36-16. They ended the season 42-40. and uh, 40. So they literally went downhill after getting Danny Manning. They were a 7th seed. They get knocked out in the playoffs. Like, if you start looking at different decisions, there's some decisions that are as bad, if not worse, than what Jerry Krause did. Well, and I think it, the problems I have with the thesis are multi faceted but the the truth is like jerry krause is a very easy bad guy and one of my favorite things on twitter in watching the first episode of the last dance aside from the fact that it was like live tweeting sports again were everyone pairing pictures of jerry krause with mr schwackahammer the bad guy in the fat bad guy from space jam right like the bad <laughs> alien in his suit looks a lot like jerry krause so this could have been a really old issue for jordan um i think it's it's interesting too that like at some point, egos kill all of these things, whether it's Shaq wanting to stop being, like, with Kobe or whatever, like, the fir- one of the first ones you talked about, or, or whatever. Like, ego gets in the way, and the illusion from every report done about the last dance in that final season in Chicago for this, you know, great Jordan and then all the other great pieces of the franchise is that there was this idea that all of the egos it just got to be you had phil you had jordan you had pippen wanting more money probably needing more money uh, you had uh jerry himself he had all these different egos going on and you had this guy named dennis robin running around on the side I, I think that that's an interesting piece of this but like you could like you're saying say like oh but jerry like got pippen to sign a seven year 18 million dollar deal in 91 like that's a crazy deal that you never see signed now um he also built the fran- built the roster, and I think that's fair. My real problem with the thesis, though, is not that they shouldn't have broken up the they should have they should not have broken up the team in '98. I think that that was a year or two too early. And um, anytime you force it, you're making a decision that forces the best player to retire. I think that you could argue pretty easily that's a bad decision. I also think it's something to say that you don't walk into a coach's office to start a season and say you can go 82 and 0 this year and you win the whole thing. You ain't coming back. Like whoa, there's got to be some flexibility there. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that just, that ain't right. That doesn't sit well with me. Um, so I do think those are aspects of the bad decision. My problem with the thesis, though, are like you, it's not, doesn't say this is the worst GM decision of all time because we could talk about, I don't think LeBron going to Miami was a bad decision by any stretch, but the, the idea of doing the TV show was a bad decision, right? Like <laughs> they did not call, need to do it on television. Um, you know, like, I guess it wasn't in the NBA, but it's probably affecting his NBA Hall of Fame status. Chris Webber probably shouldn't have called timeout. That was a pretty bad decision. <laughs> huh? Like um, Jason Williams probably didn't need to go on that motorcycle ride. That was pretty bad. Like there, like, there's several different decisions. Draymond didn't need to punch LeBron in the junk in Game Five of the Finals. Like there are several yeah. different decisions that get made. Ron Artest rang up into the stands um, by non-GMs that are also bad decisions and alter basketball history. And we're talking about a decision that Jerry Cross made that alters basketball history. Um, if we, if the thesis were to focus on GM decisions, I still think that there's at least others in the conversation, although I'm not sure that I'm like leaning at their worst. Um, I think Portland is sitting back saying, man, we could have had that guy because the, the decision to take Sam Bowie over Jordan in 84 in the 84 draft. Um, you've got, the exact, not the exact same, but a very similar situation when Darko gets drafted. Everyone's going to think after two or three weeks in a row that I hate Darko, but Darko gets drafted in 03 ahead of, directly ahead of Carmelo, but the better fit might have been Wade, 
off because Wade as a six man on that Detroit team would have been nuts or Bosch and Bosch as a stretch four on the Detroit team would have been nuts. Like there are definitely like options that would have made that a much more than a single championship kind of team. Greg Oden, you know, he was drafted before a guy named Kevin Durant. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Kevin Durant is the same guy who's sitting here in last year's playoffs making sure he's like, are you serious? I'm Kevin Durant. You know I am. <laughs> like, like I, that, that same Kevin Durant, there were people be, uh, thinking Greg Oden was a safer pick. And then on an even bigger scale, right, like, you know, Jordan was an outstanding player, and we're going to sit here, and I'm not going to make too much fun of him, but he has not been so great at his other – involvements with basketball since he's been you know obviously the jordan brand sneakers are going off the chain of that, but like his direct direct action with the wizards and now charlotte hornets formerly bobcats have not been all that great drafting Kwame brown was the wrong move if for no other reason then that kid if you did any mental health evaluation couldn't take getting verbally abused by mike jordan himself at 18 years old like, <laughs> like that was a bad pick um David Stern did a couple of his own. You alluded to the CP3 trade and veto. I actually, I think that that might have made the Lakers better, but I, um, I don't know that he could have played as well as in that as other people huh. do. But we can um, have that conversation on another as a, podcast. a later later pod. Um, but Stern also one and done dress code. Um, I he eventually comes around to the WNBA thing, so I don't want to give him so little credit for the early part of the WNBA decisions, but the, uh, and he does like start the league from not from like nothing. There is not a, a NBA backed women's league before that, but he, he certainly has some other questionable decisions. They'd moved a, a franchise out of Seattle. Seattle's a great basketball city. They took their team away, moved to Oklahoma. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't, there's so many crazy decisions. I forget about, like things like that, like the fact that Seattle doesn't have a basketball team is nuts. And then that and that Oklahoma City franchise goes to the finals and trades away the guy that had the best playoff run in the first three rounds of the Western Conference to Houston for nothing. <laughs> like I, I'm sitting here benefiting from it. I'm not saying we're making the trade back, <laughs> but like like that James Harden trade is gonna go down as a crazy, crazy maneuver that ends up spiraling into then Oklahoma City can't get back to the finals, and then Durant can't get, you know, leaves once they can't go over the hump for the third or fourth time, and then a couple years later, they're shipping off Westbrook for Chris Paul, and now they're going to rebuild, and Chris Paul's going to be... We actually be able to like, do the podcast where we just talk about the Oklahoma City decisions and all of them just being worse than what Jerry Krause did. Right, and um, there's others, like Boston bringing Rick Pitino and him running a college-style full-court press in the late 90s, early 2000s didn't work, right? Um... I, you bring up the Clippers as this like joke of a franchise. I have always wondered how a franchise like Cleveland could get so lucky to have the, you know, best player of certainly his generation, born in their backyard. Because Cleveland and Dan Gilbert and that Comic Sans letter when he left, that should have burned the franchise down. Like <laughs> there's no bad decision. Um, bad decision. Just a couple summers ago, you had Philadelphia and their management having burner Twitter accounts and like all the leaky stuff going on there. There's just lots of stuff going on. So I get that it's not like definitively the worst, but I will say it is a bad decision to run the best player of all time out of basketball. I will list for you four decisions that I think are definitively worse than Jerry Krause and his decision to... Uh, go ahead, let Phil Jackson leave, and then all of the pieces that come along with that. The first one I come to is Isaiah Thomas being left off of the Dream Team in 1992. Whoever does that decision, like, that's worse. And you're only doing that decision because Michael Jordan hates Isaiah Thomas. When Chuck Daly is the coach. Like, how does Chuck Daly not get <laughs> one of his dudes on that team? Um, the 2005 collective bargaining agreement that creates one and done in the NCAAs is definitively worse. That decision is the reason why we've only seen Zion Williamson play uh, games within the teens in terms of his career. Because that dude's jumping straight to the pros, and all of a sudden we get to see him high-flying as a rookie, right? I mean, and there are other players that definitively uh, ended up going to college. A guy like Anthony Davis, who, listen, as a Kentucky fan, I love, but he didn't need college. That dude should have started right away in the pros. You talked about the decision in LeBron James. Like, whoever was giving him advice to say, hey, why don't you go ahead and announce your free agent thing on television and just spurn all these franchises and basically make yourself a bad guy? Like, 
that was a heel turn, like in classic wrestling. That's basically what that was. He took the oh, chair to I, the back of everyone else in the NBA, including his I, former franchise in Cleveland. That's worse. It's total hindsight, but I look at the LeBron decision as him taking on being the bad guy, more like Pacino and Star and Scarface. But that, <laughs> that that's <laughs> Say just hello to, he, to my little friends. <laughs> I, yeah, his little friends are Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. But I think that's a you know either way he becomes the bad guy. That's for sure. Whoever decided that we're putting an NBA franchise in Vancouver, like that was an awful, awful, awful idea. And I don't think that basketball in Canada is a bad idea. Obviously, it works well in Toronto. I just don't know why you chose Vancouver as the other city. Like, to me, especially if you're pulling basketball out of Seattle, right? So I'm imagining that there was some conversation about the Pacific Northwest and its basketball viability. So, yeah, let's go ahead and put a team up there that, oh, by the way, only lasts six years before it goes away, right? Because of lack of support, because the lockout, and so fans don't want to come back and support this garbage franchise that never won. So and it's a hockey city in its hockey season. I think I think the thing that's interesting, though, in the four decisions you bring up, Shock, is that none of them are a singular GM making a singular decision quite in the same way that Jerry Krause did, right? Yeah, I would guess that you could say that they're all different. Um, I would imagine that in some of these, though, there's a singular individual. What we don't have is right. a documentary <laughs> confirming <laughs> that fact, right? That's what we don't right. have. Or Space Jam making it a cartoon of a fat alien. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right, Shaka. Taking attendance this week, seeing who was participating in class. Uh, this is a segment where we go through and shout out some people we interact with a lot on Twitter this week. Uh, so who were you interacting with from the FN Sports Twitter, Shaka? Awesome. So, like, the first person I want to shout out is at Kevin62WILSEA, who... Uh, Kevin Wilson, he uh, does some work for Belly Up Sports. Uh, he was doing work around the NFL draft. And so uh, he, they put out a question about uh, the biggest surprise in the draft. And they put this question out on Thursday. And so I responded by saying, I don't think Isaiah Simmons is going to be a top five pick. And he was like, oh, you're just wrong because Isaiah, Isaiah Simmons is a baller. And I was like, I, don't, it, I think he can play. That's not the thing. I think that... Either he's going to – there's going to be a trade and then he's going to be the guy who kind of falls out of the top five as the casualty. But I also can see a scenario where he's just not in the top five because teams don't take linebackers. And then Isaiah Simmons went eight. So I was like, yeah, have some of that, Kevin. Um, and so I definitely replied back to him. He took it all in good fun. So that was awesome. Um, talk about some of your interactions, Parker. Let's take some more attendance. Uh, so it starts off with at NBA Hoops – uh, tweeted out a video of how Kobe picks a number eight. It's this cool video of basically one of those old recruit camps. For those that are, you know, too young or, you know, shocker, my students that don't know about the ABCD type recruit camps, um, it would basically be the top hundred, couple hundred kids in the country all playing basketball together for a couple weeks in the summer. And he wore like, it was assigned triple digit numbers and he got like assigned number 143. And so he added the digits up and wore number eight. And it was a cool video talking about how, like, that was the best week of basketball he's ever played against the best competition. And so he wanted to remind himself of that by wearing number eight because that's all that put together, right? I responded with, this is fun, but I will forever believe that he picked 24 in his mid-career and 10 for the Olympics because Jordan was 23 and 9, and he very literally had to one-up or plus one him. Um, <laughs> and that got a little bit of traction, but what really gave it traction was at... Key from three, K-E-Y from F-O-R-M, and then the number three, uh, retweeted it and was like, oh, I hadn't even thought of that or something like that with the retweet. And that got it a whole lot of more likes. I mean, your phone was <laughs> buzzing with mine too. That got it a whole lot of more likes. Uh, so shout out to Key from three for the uh, the realization, I guess, because that was guys a lot more interaction. People just liking the tweet all of a sudden. Yeah, and uh, that thing made my phone go nuts for about two hours because folks were just loving that uh, that take. My next shout-out is at LH underscore 2242. He's a sports guy just like us. He's on Twitter. He's a, he's a New York sports fan, so he's a Yankee fan. He's a Jet fan. And we just kept interacting with the Jets draft picks. And he was giving me his takes. I was giving him some of mine. He liked Makai Becton a lot more than I did. Um, so I talked to him about the fact that I live in Kentucky and actually saw the University of Kentucky abuse Makai Becton on multiple occasions. Um, and he was asking about some of the players that the Jets drafted, just what my take was. And he was offering some really solid perspectives 
Um, so shout out to uh, at LH underscore 2242 for his Jets draft coverage as a Jet fan. I definitely appreciated it. Uh, another guy I interacted with was uh, at Reaper of BKN. Uh, so Brooklyn, I assume. Um, he tweeted out uh, a retweet of a Kendrick Perkins quote from this week saying that uh, the Thunder would have never blown a 3-1 lead if he'd still been on the Thunder in 2016. And he was like, what is this guy talking about? Is he having any idea? And I said, you know, he's not wrong. You can't blow a 3-1 lead if you never get one. That's true. That's true. <laughs> and he and I went back and forth like, oh, word. Like, I guess he, he might have meant it like that because that's clearly not how Perkins meant it. But that's the only way that what he's saying would come true is that they don't get the 3-1 lead in the first place. So. Uh, shout out to uh, at Inja We Trust, who uh, he was the first person that I interacted with on Twitter. Uh, after the Green Bay Packers <laughs> drafted Jordan Love. And so he just put a tweet out there, and I, he was like, who had the worst first round? And I was like, is there any question? And I just put this gif of uh, Aaron Rodgers just like as down <laughs> and as down as he could possibly be <laughs> at the pick. And so uh, it ended up getting a few likes and uh, retweets. So uh, it, it was just uh, really cool. Jordan Love, God, I hope I hope good things for him. I just don't see them. Um, happening so shout out uh in job we trust but um yeah i don't think the packers fans are very happy about the fun that we were having at the expense of green bay my last class participation award for the week is with at nba one hoops um who just does a lot of nba twitter honestly uh, but nba one hoops tweeted out one of the you know picture greater than other picture and you know those tweets that are going out viral these days yeah, yeah, yeah. um it was Hakeem Olajuwon greater than Shaquille O'Neal. And he said, easy W. And I mean, and I responded with, I mean, I guess you can say Shaq's bigger in LA and I had Kobe or whatever, but Hakeem kind of rocked. He and Penny in 95, four game sweep, Dreamhead, 32, 11, 5, 2, and 2, break out the brooms. And uh, NBA One Hoops retweeted it. It got a bunch of likes and stuff earlier this week um, when we we're all sitting around board waiting on the NFL draft to happen. So shout out to NBA Hoops for going back and forth a little bit. Um, here's one that we could go back and forth on a little bit, Parker. Um, at WFeb tweeted out a question, and uh, he talks about rooting for Louisville and the ACC, and he's like, is the ACC the worst conference in college football? He's like, it's just Clemson and a bunch of sucky teams. So, like, are they basically worse than the Pac-12? So what's your thought on that, Parker? How do you think the ACC compares to Pac-12 in football? Um, my thought initially off the top of my head is if ACC is Clemson and a bunch of sucky teams, the Pac-12 is just a bunch of sucky teams. So, like, they're still better. Like, I, 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 don't, um, I don't know that <laughs> I really have much more digested than that, but that's my initial thought. What do you think? Yeah, I 100% agree. I said that, you know, basically what the ACC is is Clemson. And as long as Clemson is competing for national championships, then they're better than anything that the Pac-12 can consistently throw out there. Uh, at one time, Washington seemed like a team that was consistently in the playoff conversation. Uh, that being said, I don't think that anyone ever thought that they could beat Alabama, which Clemson has done multiple times in route to winning multiple national championships. So, yeah, I definitely feel like the ACC is a little stronger than the Pac-12. Um, thank you guys for interacting with us in the podcast. We love taking attendance. And so uh, get in the Twitter. Our Twitter is at FNSports2. Uh, we also have an Instagram at F underscore N underscore sports. So get in there, interact with us, give us comments. And who knows, when we take attendance, we might shout you out. All right, friends. Thank you so much for listening this week. It was fun talking NFL draft. It's always great when we can get a little basketball conversation in, and I'm definitely going to be watching uh, The Last Dance this evening. Parker, I assume that you're going to be kind of rip-roaring ready to go once the uh, documentary starts up on ESPN. You want to go ahead and give folks your socials? Yeah, you can see my live tweets from watching the show or just my general sports commentary throughout the week um, or a bunch of random retweets or occasional sne sneaker tweets at P Ainsworth 512. That's at Painsworth 512, P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H 512 uh, on Instagram or Twitter. Um, 
you know, we're all at home this week, and so you feel free to reach out and let me know what your sports takes are or what you think about my takes, and we'll have some back and forth. And I gave the uh, the addresses uh, in the last segment, but that being said, if you want to find us on Twitter, uh, at FNSports2. If you want to find us on Instagram, at F underscore N underscore sports. My Twitter is at Shaka Cummings. My Instagram is also at Shaka Cummings, at C-H-A. K-A-C-U-M-M-I-N-G-S. Please interact with us. We love taking attendance and seeing that you guys are present. Thank you guys for listening to the podcast this week. And please remember, when it comes to sports, don't flunk with us. Later, guys. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.